32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United Ireland. I think we did it. I don't think we did. did. Oh my God. Uh, We usually take a county, dive into an issue relevant to that county, and then see where in the world it brings us. But it's the festive season. And where does it maybe this year? We're kind of in the mood for spicing things up, as you may have noticed the last few weeks, and trying to spread the festive cheer. For this episode, we're talking about an incident in women's Gaelic football that once again shone, shine, shone the spotlight on a not so equal playing field. I should have written shone the floodlight, but I didn't. We go under the hood of what's going on as the GAA season reaches its peak with Elaine Bucko Buckley, who is my go-to person for all things sport. Oh my God, mine too. Thank you to our new Patreon pals. You're the best. Remember, it's a new month. So, well, it's two weeks into it now. Um, So check the old cards um, in case they're out of date or whatever. And when you sign up, you get the Sunday Soothe and you get bonuses. As you may have noticed, we have been on a bonus bonanza um, last week or I think last week. Uh, we made the decision not to do because all that stupid grandstanding was going on in politics. We were like, let's just do gorge bonus episodes. So we did. Yeah. And that's the joy of being self-employed, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know, there's a lot of tit for tat kind of stuff and, and that argy bargy. So, yeah, so if you haven't listened to any of the bonuses, check them out. We've got the report from Other Voices in Dingle, um, which is joyous about how a group of people managed to pull off a festival in a pandemic. We have Andrea's brilliant interview with the fascinating Natalie B. Coleman on fashion industry. It's really, really juicy stuff. Um, and really interesting, like on the business side of things and organization side of things as well, I thought, and like just general issues across the board. Um, we have an interview, byline interview with Lise Hand, which people are loving. Um, really great interview on her career some truly she is and there's some truly excellent uh, yarns in there Um, and there was another bonus episode no that was it Sunday Soothe was that it Sunday Soothe four episodes four episodes in one week who are we truly fantastic Um, so yes uh, now Later in this episode, you are going to hear the details of our long-awaited, by us, Fave Bits competition. That is so unlike us. Usually we are so on top of things to just get things out so fast. Not like (laughs) us to take a while to do anything, is it? You will be able to hear how you can win a hamper of our Fave Bits. Uh, So stay tuned. Uh, I sound like a Roman radio. After the break, we're going to be telling you about... No. uh, No, it's the Angelus. (laughs) It is actually the state of the nation. Well, Andrea. Oh, she's in bits this week, isn't she? Um, So the main thing this week, there's kind of like a few main things. Firstly, vaccine rollout. The conversations are happening. We're being told we're in a... um, a very original situation because with so many agencies involved in the rollout and how it's not going to be as easy as it could be. Surprise, surprise. What? A little complication in Ireland wouldn't be like us. Um, oh my God, vaccine rollout's just like us. 
like they, they wanted to get it faster, but it just takes a while. But they get there eventually. <laughs> um, so, yeah, vaccine rollout. I think there's talk that the first few will happen before um, this this year. Um, but obviously, that's probably a lot of grandstanding and PR to say we're, we're on the way. Um, and the real stuff will kick off in Jan. As I saw Philip O'Connor tweeting, it's not important when your vaccine program begins. It's important when it ends. Oh, that's very poignant, isn't it? Mm, it's a good one. Um, I I feel like, okay, maybe this is, <laughs> maybe this is totally delusional, but I feel like it's not a big, a logistical thing as people are making out. Like 1.2 million people or something got the flu vaccine this year or something like that. I think it's because of how it needs to be stored and how, and just that's just the Pfizer one though we're going to have loads of vaccines like it's just like four or five or six times the amount of the flu vaccine get on to them then Una sort it out <laughs> do you know we should put Michael O'Leary in charge of the health service hello you know, at hse.ie here's my plan what do you think it's kind of that complicated guys calm down <laughs> Um, yeah, info at stephendonley.com. Okay, what else is going on? Uh, this is this is kind of should be in a bit bananas. CETA is having its day in the sun. Well, it was meant to, but it was postponed. Um, and this has been going on. Um, this is a trade deal with Canada. It's been going on for years. We, we follow most of the trade deals that were made um, from a trade perspective. And I remember actually doing a talk with Lynn Ruan a few years ago and this was coming up on the table and she was and I hadn't even rats what it was and she was explaining it to me and I was like sorry how is that real life and she's like I know it's bananas um so this is reared its head again and this is a few years later and the, the thing so basically the Green Party uh have been hoodwinked into supporting program this because they said it's not in the program for government but apparently it's in appendix 11 point something something whatever that they we would honor uh pro-europe trade deals that would lead to bigger trade uh streams grant that all seems fair enough but the problem is the introduction of this uh court um, and like, bear in mind, we trade fine as it is, but this court that would come in would allow uh, corporations to sue governments if they make decisions that will affect their profits. So if, let's say, uh, Airbnb could sue the government because they bring in regulations that say people should have a home and that they shouldn't be used to rent out to tourists and people are homeless, blah, 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 blah. So that's kind of where it's at. The Green Party have been told, Eamon Ryan has been told to get his party uh, in line to vote on it. Uh, Nessa Hergan and um, who was the other? Cosi Costello, wasn't it? Oh yeah, Patrick Costello um, said they wouldn't vote to support it. Uh, so now it's been postponed because it was given 45 minutes to talk about it and then vote on it. Um, so uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, are raging. So that really illustrates, uh, I suppose, where all the parties lie. So, uh, and it's so gasped because Eamon Ryan was like pictured at the launch against CETA. And now he's like, I'll get my party in line. Funny how they fall from grace. Apparently, some changes have been made that have, have made him see the light and got him on board with CETA. Um, would that be that you're in government, Mr. Ryan? <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's the CETA shit show. 
like I would like to do go a bit deeper on it to understand it more because it, every article just highlights um, all these negatives. So there must be a positive vibe in there for someone. People make money. <laughs> the world ends and we blow, burn it down. But someone's made money, so it's grand. <laughs> um, God, what's up? I was reading what... Um, Gabriel Scali was saying there about the North uh, and how they were like crazy to reopen things. Very scary, isn't it? Oh, all the ambulances parked outside the hospitals now. Obviously, pictures can be very ferocious. Actually, side note to that, I was listening to this podcast you're wrong about. And do you know that if you put uh, a fact or an, a non-fact on a picture that references the fact, people believe it more. So let's say you say polar bears came from Spain and you had a polar bear on a beach. People will, people believe it. And that's why memes work so well at reinforcing messaging. So mm. anyway, the ambulances outside the hospital is very drastic. But yeah, there's a, a, a Northern Irish crisis. The figures have been going up in caseloads and it, how it's been affected. And like, I'm going to bring up a new issue that we haven't, nobody has really thought about. With a devolved government in the north you really feel sorry for it because the uk don't give a shit they are not helping them we're in a position where we aren't we're like should can we take some cases on it just feels so often that northern ireland are left to fend for themselves with not much to back them up yeah and london and stuff a lot of england's going back into lockdown isn't it that went in yeah yeah they seem to really have bulged it up um, well, I mean, what can like, you say? Like, I just hope people like in the north are safe. We'll be going into lockdown in January. I think everybody's, yeah, kind of reaching yeah. that conclusion, yeah. Um, and you have just written down here, Andrea, Brexit. I just <laughs> thought, it, would, you like to, would you like to elaborate on that at all? No, not really. I just felt it would be obtuse of us not to include that it was ha- happening. Um, but let's not go into it. No, I just, I mean, at the end of 2016, I really wanted Brexit to be over. Uh, not in a kind of get Brexit done kind of way. Put it in the oven. Put it in the oven. I just feel like we've just been blue balled for four and a half years. And it's just like, please. That's what uh, they want you to think. That's what they want you to think. Wake up, sheeple. No, but I just feel like uh, when I, I have to say, this sounds terrible because I know the consequences of, well, obviously Boris Johnson doesn't want to deal and wants to crash out. Like that has been, otherwise he would have done the opposite to what he's doing. Um, but you know, when they, it was like, it's Sunday, it's definitely Sunday. Um, you're one in Europe and Boris, they're going to come to this. You're or, one in Europe. <laughs> Ursula. Ursula. You're one in Europe. And, and um, did a tweet about her going, if Trump was involved in European politics, he'd call her Ursula von der Leyen. That was the great Amy O'Connor, I believe. Um, and when they're like, no, definitely Sunday. Sunday is the deadline. And then when they're like, oh, they had a phone call and they're trying to extend talks, like my heart actually sank. I was like, I don't know how much more of this I can take. Imagine I feel like I've just been watching the shittest, longest film. Uh, do you know what it reminds me of? I once had to take a bus from uh, Bus Oris in Dublin to Warsaw uh, for the purposes of an article. 
And not only that, but basically I had to then take it back. Okay. And it just went, it went on for days. Anyway, on the bus on the way back, I got on the wrong bus. <clears throat> and this one did not go from Warsaw down into, you know, Belgium and whatever. It, it basically went to all of these other Polish cities first. So I was basically on this bus going around Poland. Going, this was a terrible idea. Roslaw, Lodz, all this, like all different places. Anyway, the bus literally took days and it was not like a cool, fancy coach with beds. Like it was like the bus you went on your school trip bus. And there was a television on the bus and it played a dubbed Polish version of Nicolas Cage's National Treasure on repeat. When it would finish, it would just start again. And I spent the entire time on this bus just like, that's what Brexit feels like. Wow. It feels like watching National Treasure dubbed in Polish on a bus where you can't feel your ass for like three days driving around the Polish countryside until you eventually get to Hollyhead. I would have knocked myself out with red wine. Well, you see, you couldn't. Anyway, well, back to anyway, 20 minutes. We're okay. Uh, what's some good news? Uh, good news. This is a few weeks ago, but we didn't speak about anything for the last few days, uh, weeks, <laughs> episodes, um, issue based. But I just wanted to put it in. Uh, Holly Kearns offering up her vote uh, to Helen McEntee and um, partnering up with her while she goes on maternity leave because we don't have maternity leave for politicians in Ireland. And I just thought it was a really good example of how you don't, it was a cross party support. It wasn't like they weren't, uh, didn't have allegiances through parties. It was just a sound thing to do and a, supporting women and putting your fucking money where your mouth is. I thought it was a, a really uh, nice thing to do. And then the other thing I have in here, now I have question marks over it because I called it development with soul uh, because obviously I am very cynical, but I'm going to take it at face value today because, you know, it's Christmas. But Heinz have put in for uh, planning permission for 732 homes at the Player Wheel site in Dublin 8. Um, and just some of the language that they've used, they obviously have a very good marketing team because they have said uh, they're going to put in things like two parks um, as well as the 732 new homes, two parks. Then they're going to have a full restoration of the original building with an extension to the rear, residential units, new community, artistic and cultural spaces, separate commercial space for activities such as small business and co-working facilities. And their comment was, our extensive engagement with local residents over the past 18 months was a turning point in determining our approach with the much-loved Player Wheels building. Our aim here is to make the Player Wheels building once again the beating heart of a new and vibrant community in Dublin 8. Um, and as well as that, they have pedestrian access points um, through it. They have road networks, low-speed internal road networks that prioritise bicycle users and pedestrians, a thousand dedicated bicycle spaces. And like you get the fear when you hear about planning, but like they're, say they're saying all the right things. If they, mm -hmm. if they deliver on all of that, you'd have to be like, that is brilliant. And due to the stellar work of people like Rebecca Moynihan, John Mahon from The Locals has been doing a lot on it. And so you would hope that it would come to fruition like that. Yeah, it certainly sounds good. Um, let's see what happens. Heinz, they are the developer who made a big song and dance about the central bank building, central plaza being like, 
landmark blah 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 and they have just put a Krispy Kreme in the bottom of it so and it's all glass glazing to a new level it's nine floors of WeWork what could possibly go wrong um okay let's get to our main item it's time to talk your favorite topic Andrea sports ball Right, so a recent women's football match was thrown into chaos in Ireland and loads of people wondered how an All-Ireland semi-final uh, ended up in such jeopardy. There's a lot going on behind the scenes, kind of complex with different organisations and different best interests and all that kind of stuff. So we turned to our go-to backstage maestro, uh, Elaine Booker Buckley. Uh, she works for RTE. She knows all the sitch of all of the juice going on behind the scenes. She's um, encyclopedic about uh, women in sport, um, sport that women play and just sport in general. Um, So sit back and enjoy this fascinating discussion on what is actually going on in women's GAA. Elaine Bucko Buckley, uh, what have you been up to for the past nine months, I guess? What has your year uh, looked like? Well, my year has panned out a hell of a lot different than I thought it was going to pan out back in back in January. I work in RT Sport in various um, roles across different productions and events. We were gearing up for a big summer of the European Football Championships and... I was supposed to be heading off to Tokyo to work on on the Olympic Games as well as all the usual uh, GAA summer colour that we have and all of a sudden it all just evaporated before our eyes. So um, I suppose when things ground to a halt, um, sport did with it in all its forms and um, our our work changed significantly. It became a lot more archive-based and a lot more feature-based and kind of trying to fill our schedule with... um, with kind of reliving golden sport, sporting memories in the absence of, of any ongoing ones and um, I suppose discussing the bigger issues around sport grinding to a halt that is until it came roaring back in the late summer and autumn so um, the past three months have been absolutely bananas as Andrea would say with uh, <laughs> lots of lots of GAA action and um, yeah so it, it, it's really been kind of a, a, a year of, of polar opposite states of work but um, really really enjoying the GAA championships at the moment. One of the very enjoyable things um, on uh, the RTE's GAA coverage are the really lovely um, often um, heartwarming heart-wrenching montages. Uh, You are a big proponent of the School of Sports Feelings and I believe uh, you are very responsible for some of those uh, montages. Which one would be your favourite that you put together, do you think? Um, I did one back in... uh Back in May, uh, it, it actually went out um, as to open the Sunday Game Archive series, which we ran during the summer. Um, it was a piece that went out what would have been the opening weekend of the championship. And this was kind of uh, early May, so it was it was kind of peak lockdown one. Um, people who love sport were missing it, it dreadfully. And that particular week, weekend was, was a tough one because it should have been the start of the hurling championships and all the all the kind of colour and chat that goes around that and I put together a piece using Bell X1's cover of Boys of Summer 
I was just listening to it one day in, in the queue for the supermarket, actually, which is what we did at the time. You queued for an hour to get into a supermarket to get the shopping for my mum and dad. There's a very 2020 sentence. <laughs> but there's a line in that song, um, there's something in the air, the summer's out of reach. And that just, for me, summed up what was happening to sport and in particular to GAA. Um, I, I took it quite tough at the time, to be honest. It, it was like the, the whole central focus of my work and, and my life just just kind of disappeared in front of me and I suppose I channeled those sports feelings in, into making that montage and it just took off like we make these kind of features week in week out and you know they they happen they go on air and they kind of pass without incident but this one I think just resonated with a lot of people and um, and yeah, so I, that one that one kind of holds a special place for me and then I suppose going from summer to winter, I was tasked with making, again, the season opener for the Winter Championship. Um, I used a song called Winter by Tori Amos and I, and I scripted kind of around some of the lyrics that I wanted to use and I filled the rest with, with script. Again, a line of that song, I was listening to it back in August when we didn't know what was going to happen with sport or with life, really. It was, again, another kind of very tough period. And um, there's a line in that song, air is grey but the fires are burning and I was just like well that absolutely says Winter GAA Championship to me I subsequently found out that she's singing hair is grey but the fires are burning but I didn't realise it at the time I built this whole piece around it um, around the Winter Championship around the theme that you know in, in the depths of winter it's anyone's game so those two I think just given the year that it's been and the odd really really odd feelings there and conflicting feelings that we've had around sport even coming back and going ahead and um, those two will stay with me for a long time and I'm uh, I'm just glad that they resonated with so many people Great work, great work altogether. Um, let's talk about something that happened the other week uh, which is kind of what we're talking about today. Myself and yourself um, have spoken an awful lot uh, over the years um, about uh not just women playing sport, but how gender discrimination or a lack of support intersects sometimes to with 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 that to um, cause cause issues. As many a a cold night we've spent out watching, you know, um, the Irish women's rugby team, for example, at Nashburn and things like that, and 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 you gradually like even within our own kind of last five years, there seems to be this momentum building where certain things are just not acceptable anymore, where like second fiddle and and chronic under-resourcing is at least flagged and viewed as not acceptable. Yet we're in a sit we were in a situation a very short while ago with the um the semi-final, all Ireland football semi-final. Um what happened? Take us through it for people who aren't familiar with it. Okay, uh, it kind of happened in in various stages. Um, I suppose we'll start with with Sunday, the sixth of December, and what actually happened on the day. Um, Galway and Cork were scheduled to play an All Ireland football semi final in Parnell Park, throwing in at one thirty p.m. Cork, you know, with with players being based all around the county, uh, had decided to travel up the night before and and centralise themselves in a Dublin hotel, and Galway were travelling up on the day. The pitch was frozen in Parnell Park and the LGFA made a call to move the match into Croke Park. They managed to get the go-ahead to come in to Croke Park 
and play the game ahead of the men's All-Ireland Football Senior Semi-Final between Mayo and Tipperary. However, it came with a caveat that an earlier throw-in time would be required because the championship that, that we're in in the condensed calendar, everything is winner on the day. There's no room for replays. So if Cork Galway went to extra time, they would need to allow for that in their throw-in time. So as a result, the throw-in time went from 1.30 to 1pm. Now, Galway found out about this when they were stopped in Kinnegad. So they received their first notification of this change at 5 to 11. I cannot emphasise how much planning and logistics that inter-county teams are currently having to contend with around with, like down to the minute coordinating their movements when often they're not allowed to travel in buses together. They're all taking separate cars. They're trying to plan food when, you know, restaurants and usual facilities are closed. You're only allowed into your dressing room a certain amount of minutes, like 15 minutes beforehand to get ready for the game. Everything is just so, so difficult at the moment. And so any, any slight change can cause chaos. But a match being moved, not only venue, but, but, but being brought forward by half an hour, obviously just played havoc with Galway's plans. So they made it to Croke Park. And the throw-in ended up being pushed, pushed back to 10 past one. So they got those extra 10 minutes. But ultimately, they only got about seven minutes to warm up for an All-Ireland semi-final. And that is just... Like it, it's just it just beggars belief. And even like I, I was working on the men's football um, that day, so I, I was actually based in RTE, but our, our, a lot of our team were working on the men's match in Croke Park. Immediately, my first thought when I heard the news was, "Well, what's going to happen with television?" Because TG Cahir would have been in rigging Parnell Park from the day before because they are the rights holders for the ladies' football championship, and the match got moved at such short notice that no alternative arrangements could be made to facilitate getting this match on television. Um, you know, people ask questions, you know, well, well why couldn't Orgy or Sky put it on when they were already set up in Crow Park? But I think I think a lot of people don't understand the logistics of, of live sport and how much, again, much like the county squads, how much down-to-the-minute planning goes into it. Like, you know, crews would have been rigging from from early in the morning, 6, 7 a.m. in the morning. Breaks have to be given. Pre-match stuff has to be recorded. It's not so simple as just turning your camera and filming a match that just happens to be on there now. It, it, and my, my first, my, my real presiding thought was, oh my God, all of these players' families are at home and they're not going to get to see this All-Ireland semi-final being played. Um, the match went ahead and, and Cork won. They won significantly, 217 to 13 points. Galway conceded a very early goal. They, they looked sluggish at the start, so the, the warm-up time definitely had an impact on it. Now, they've been very gracious in the defeat and acknowledged that Cork were the better team, but nevertheless, they have made the point that they did not have sufficient notice or sufficient warm-up time for this game. So Tim Rabbit, the Galway manager, has said kind of subsequently that he wishes that he'd actually just refused to play it because as soon as they got there, they were being barked at by officials and and um, and the referee to, to get the match going, and it it it's just kind of become this real, oh, I suppose, focal point. Like I was ch- chatting to a friend of mine who'd cover a lot of women's sports recently about it, and and I said to her, you know, I really feel like this is a tracksuits in the toilet moment for GAA, and by that I mean, like back in two thousand and seventeen when the Irish women's soccer team 
effectively went on, went on strike and held that press conference in Liberty Hall to air their grievances, it drew in this whole new audience who never really cared before, but who were instantly irate with what they were seeing. And what people were seeing on Sunday the 6th of December was an All-Ireland football semi-final being switched venue at the last minute, losing half an hour of prep time and not having significant warm-up time and on paper even that I'm you know it's no wonder that people are irate about it you mentioned what the what the Galway manager thought in the aftermath I mean my first you know reaction was like you just ring somebody up and say fuck this we're not we're not we're not doing this you know kick it into another weekend or something like I know I know again with logistics hard but you know uh, the immortal words of a of a DJ: No moe, no showe, no shandon, no bandon. You know, if stuff isn't set up, h- how can you expect like athletes to play what for some of them will be the most important game of their careers to date? Well, see, Una, I think that the thing that a lot of people didn't realise around this as well is that the venue had already the date of the event. First of all. When the LGFA and the Camogie Association, which are two separate organisations from the GAA, so there is three organisations involved in this, but the LGFA look after football, the Camogie Association look after Camogie, and they are two completely separate entities. And, you know, when championships were given the, the green light to go ahead, they planned out their championship format, which had to be adapted, and they planned out their fixtures separately. And they both released their fixture schedules, and, you know, I copped it very early on, I was like, oh my God, the Camogie and the football All-Ireland semi-finals are scheduled for Saturday 28th of November. So both organisations had scheduled their two semi-finals on the same day. And instantly, the well, Cork were very likely to be affected with this. They have five players, five high-profile players who play across both codes. Tipperary, who would be well capable of prog- progressing in either championship as well. They have a couple of players in the mix as well. And it was going to highlight the issue that, once again, dual stars were not even being given 24 hours between games if their county were to reach All-Ireland semi-finals. So on November 13th, so what's that? That's... Um, whatever, 15 days before, so two two weeks out from from when the matches were supposed to be played, the LGFA actually announced that they would move their All-Ireland semi-final that Cork were involved in in order to facilitate a week between the Cork Camogie players and the Cork footballers. So that is why the match wound up on Sunday, December 6th. Now, on the 28th, the LGFA had a venue sorted for that game. It was going to be in Sample Stadium in Thurless. But with being moved, that venue no longer became available. So they approached Limerick. They approached the Gaelic Grounds in Limerick. And Limerick said, yes, you can use our pitch on Sunday 6th of December unless the Limerick hurlers make it to the All-Ireland final, in which case they will need the pitch at that exact time and you cannot have access to it. So how anyone would take a punt on the Limerick hurlers not winning is beyond me. It's 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 to put it in context. It's it's it, it's like banking on the Dublin footballers not winning. Like it, there's a very strong chance that they're going to end up in an All Ireland final. So the venue was never locked in in the Gaelic Grounds in Limerick. And then when that story emerged, Owen Cormac and broke the story in the Irish Examiner that you know the 
the ladies' football semi-final was now without a venue and would have to move to Parnell Park because they couldn't get into the Gaelic grounds because the Limerick players had to train. That, you know, that, that produced quite a reaction again, like what I like to call absolute bandwagon outrage at, oh my God, on the face of it, the women can't play in All-Ireland semi-final because the Limerick curlers have to train. Again, it's very important to highlight that the GAA own all of these facilities. They have first pick on them. They are their facilities. Any venues that the LGFA and the Camogie Association get into is working around the men. And that, that has always been the case. Like the, the, the men own the facilities and the, the two other associations plan everything around the GAA. Hence why you often don't find out about where venues of matches are until Wednesday, Thursday of a week before a match. So the Limerick hurlers took took a, a bit of a bashing in that regard. Personally, I, I don't agree with it because, you know, they were training for an All-Ireland final in their home stadium. It's nothing out of the ordinary. The strange thing is that a chance would have been taken on that not happening. So instead, on the week of the All-Ireland semi-final, it's moved to Parnell Park, dragging a team from Connacht and a team from Munster up to Dublin to play a game when so many other county grounds were vacant around the country. Now, of course, you do require things like like floodlights and infrastructure for television. And, and floodlights are particularly important. To give you to give you an example, I was producing the, the coverage of the All-Ireland Camogie semifinals and we had to turn on the floodlights at half 12 in the day. It was, it was that dark and the weather was that bad. So you kind of do need the floodlights in situ, which rules out venues like Nolan Park in Kilkenny doesn't have floodlights, O'Connor Park in Tullamore doesn't have floodlights. But there were other venues there that do. So the match wound up in Parnell Park. You know, Cork, they were very vocal about how unhappy they were with that, that they would have to travel up the night before. In the end, that actually ended up working in, in their favour, that they didn't get, get the call when they were halfway up the road on Sunday morning. But for me, this incident stems back to both associations planning their fixtures and not communicating about what their plans were for the high-profile knockout games. And, you know, they're separate organisations, yeah, this gets to the fundamental of it that, you know, w- what can be done for some kind of coherence organisationally and then that could potentially actually give both sports more clout from the women's point of view with regards to some kind of cohesion with a new organisation. So there is no... There is no shortcut to resolving this. There is no easy answer to this. They, the, the GAA, the Camogie Association and the LGFA are three completely separate organisations with their own structures, their own staffing, often different rules between the codes, between men and women, etc. You know, the GAA founded in 18, 1884. The Camogie Association was founded in 1904. The LGFA was only founded in 1974. So, you know, there's, there's different histories there at, at play as well. But... The simple fact is that the GAA, that is, you know, they who govern hurling and football, own all of the facilities and own all the county grounds and all the pitches that are required for things like television, which, you know, it, it has increased. The volume of matches televised has, has increased for certainly camogie and, and, and football as well in, in the past couple of years. The pre, a previous president of the, of the GAA, Liam O'Neill, about six years ago, um, you know, he made efforts towards bringing an amalgamation proposal 
to the table and, and it got as far as him going to the, the central councils of the three different organisations. The GAA said yes to it, the Camogie Association said yes to it and the LDFA said no to it. And, you know, they have their reasons. Again, women women in Gaelic games have really had to fight for everything that they have and there are like there's such stride and pride involved in the two sports because for a long time nobody cared about them and they've really had to work to get everything they have in terms of, of commercial revenue, television exposure, just general interest in the games, getting people along along to, to watch the games. Um, but all that good work, I feel, just seems in vain when something as fundamental as this happens, that a team doesn't get sufficient time to warm up for an All-Ireland semi-final. It's, it's, and, and it seems like every, every year there's an issue like this, whether it's the dual star clashes, whether it's a problem with the venue, whether it's the coin toss scenario in Camogie a couple of years ago. Mm. There's, a, there's always something. And, you know, when, when that, pro- that proposal towards amalgamation, it's, it's never going to go away. It's, it's something that comes up really frequently. But I feel like this is now the turning point we have to look at something. We have to look at some way of inter- integration and giving women fairer access to facilities. Because even in terms of even in terms of government funding, Una, like we have we have a ridiculous case where the men's codes receive three million in public funding from the government in government funding, and the women's codes receive seven hundred thousand. Not only do they receive significantly less, they've only gotten that money since two thousand and sixteen, when the women's GPA Gaelic Players Association was founded in two thousand and fifteen. Got the two associations into a room, formed a plan about how they could lobby government for funding, and it was them who really, really did a lot of the legwork on that with the two associations. And as a result, now every single inter-county squad in, in women's Gaelic games across hurling and football now receives an annual grant of €9,000. So that's for the whole season. And it's brilliant because the money is ring-fenced for facilities and recovery specifically. But crucially, there are there are county teams out there who will wind up paying some of that money that they receive from the government back to the GAA for access to pitches. So it's, you know, what little they do get... It's, it's not even fully their own in, in, in many cases. And it would vary from county to county. But that is a problem. And just this week, actually, on Tuesday evening, the Gaelic Players Association and the Women's Gaelic Players Association, two separate entities, two separate players' union. The men's was founded in 1999 and the women's was founded in 2015. So the women's is relatively new. But they took a vote. They, called, they both called EGMs and they took a vote to um, on whether they should combine their associations and have one kind of general executive to to oversee the combined association, and that vote passed overwhelmingly. The women passed it by ninety six percent of those in attendance, and the men passed it by one hundred percent. Wow! So that is a mandate. Literally, it's <laughs> it's it's like. It's incredible. I couldn't believe it when I saw the figure. And again, when I say it's a tracksuit in the toilets moment, you know, I've heard some of some of some of the male pundits that I, that I that I work with in in the past fortnight. They have been so incensed 
by this. Like, you know, the day it happened that night on the Sunday game, we had Kevin McStay in studio, we had Colin Cooper, the Gooch in studio, and they were just so angry about it. And likewise, listening to, say, second captains, and you had Kieran Murphy, Ushin McConville, Andy Moran, like, spitting fire about it, about how disgraceful it was. And Keith and, Duggan in The Times as well read a, read a good piece about it too. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's really kind of brought people on board to this who, you know, don't always know what's going on or, or 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 don't always kind of comment on it publicly. And that's where like I feel I should say I do deeply sympathize with, with the with the LGFA on this as well because you know they they face challenges like this on a weekly basis. Every week of every championship they are trying to sort venues that they do not own and they are trying to deal with TV schedules and county logistics and keeping things fair in terms of travel times. They are constantly up against it. And just on this particular day, they thought they were doing a good thing by getting into Croke Park and giving the players an opportunity to play in Croke Park. And unfortunately, a decision that was made in player welfare terms because the pitch in Parnell Park was frozen ended up proving just the opposite it, it, it was it, it hampered player welfare even further and I think in the fallout of it and um, you know the president of the LGFA went on Morling Ireland the, f- the following morning to give an interview with with Rachel English and you know she said that well the Galway players should have come out of their dressing room sooner and that line in particular just really really has angered the player base because you know, they, you're talking about like Sinead Burke, one of the Galway, one of the Galway defenders. Later on in the day, went on the Clareburn um, radio program, and Claire asked her about that comment, and she was like, "You know, you're talking about time to go to the toilet before a match. Like you're after driving up from Galway. Like it's just not, it's just not good enough. And for a player of Sinead's caliber of her profile to have to go on national radio and explain that, it's it's just all wrong. It's just so 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 wrong, and. I think that that vote that the GPA and the WGPA have taken really sets the tone, I think, for what's going to happen. Maybe, you know, you could be talking in the next 10 to 15 years, but I think it sends out a really strong message from the players of where they stand on this because it won't happen without the support of male players. It's like everything. It's like when you think back to 2015, like the marriage referendum wouldn't have passed for queer people if it wasn't for straight people. Like, you know, it's helping out and getting on board and getting incensed about it. And, you know, it's it's that kind of thing where you need a lot of people involved to drive this and, and, and to send out, send out the message on this that we want to move towards integration and we want to move towards one Gaelic Games family. And it's, it's I, I just think that message that's been sent out by that vote is, is loud and clear. Is there a risk that it will get messier before it gets better in terms of if there is solidarity building between players of both sports on the women's game and then also getting this solidarity from their male counterparts, that there does seem to be a a kind of a, a ground up cohesion there in terms of players' rights, players' welfare, all of that kind of stuff it feels perhaps that there may end up being or maybe there already is you you'd have much greater insight into this um a discontent with players versus organization um yeah and and i think um 
so Cork obviously won that that All Ireland semi final, but their manager Ify Fitzgerald was extremely vocal about his his dissatisfaction with with how things went, and you know how he 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 really felt strongly that that you know it, it was just very unfair on on Galway, and um, and he gave a line that the professionalism of of the, of the intercounty setups has surpassed that of the, the governing body. Now, I think that's I think that I think you really have to you know look at, at what the LGFA do, have done in the past, you know, in the recent history and how they've grown their association and how they've grown their their brand. But again, that stuff is all really important. But the most important thing is matches being played and players having adequate preparation time. Um, I go back to the WGPA again and, you know, that them, them being set up in 2015, like that's only five years ago. And what they have done in that time, you know, this was this was a players' union set up by the likes of Gemma Begley from Tyrone, Valerie Mulcahy from Cork, Kate Kelly, Wexford Camogie legend, Fiona McHale from Mayo Carnacan, and Anna Geary from Cork Camogie were, were the founding members. And these kind of players who, some of them were still playing at the time, but these are players who have found their voice and who are now you know, are able to use it for good and able to drive change in the way that they know that that they know it has to be achieved. Um by lobbying the government and by, you know, being at the table and, and being a voice in the room. So when you look at that at, at the players, the current players now that they've gotten involved in the WGPA, the likes of Sinead Burke from Galway, of Neve Collins from Dublin, um Aoife Murray from Cork Camogie, like these these are players who have been and done it all some of them who are still playing and you know that younger generation who who really stand for I suppose who who have just like grown accustomed to higher standards and and don't feel in any way bad about demanding that and where it's going to go I I don't really know I suppose it's 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 the golden question and um, it's really unfortunate that this happened in an All-Ireland semi-final if I'm brutally honest I am absolutely shocked that it didn't happen sooner because with four championships being played out in a condensed calendar you know eight nine weeks and with inclement weather less daylight I really thought that it was going to be absolute chaos for venues um, and I suppose coming from a point of view of my work I was particularly concerned about the camogie quarterfinals and semi-finals now the Camogie Association secured Parky Cueve for both of those days in in re, like on, on, on paper it was giving Cork two home games but it meant having guaranteed venues far out so teams could plan their logistics around it and nobody was given out about the fact that they were being played in Cork so because they just wanted to know where they were played and we had the infrastructure for television and for floodlights so it's really hard to know where it's going to go next. My hope is that it won't be forgotten. But at the same time, as a fan of football and as, as someone who has followed it for so long, like I, I rarely actually work on TG Carroll, the rights holders for the for the Ladies Gated Football Championship. So it's actually the one one of the few sports that I never have to work on. It's all enjoyment and it's all kind of, you know, extracurricular work, if, if any. Um, and I just care deeply about the game as, as, as a having played at a club level and the fact that so few people saw that semi-final it has such knock-on effects in terms of you know discourse around previewing the final between Cork and Dublin because nobody saw it being played and um, post-match coverage you know 
players and managers weren't weren't made available for immediate reaction. There was less journalists there to cover it, and all of the talk was about what had happened pre-match as opposed to, you know, Melissa Duggan giving a potentially player of the year performance from from the half-back line scoring goals. Like, it's it, it taints all the other hard work that has been done in recent years when it comes to now previewing this match of Dublin v Cork, which is one of the best rivalries in sport. And I'm sure, you know, there'll be, there'll be press preview events this week. I'm sure the players are getting asked about it a lot instead of talking about their match and talking about their opponents and talking about you know their own what's going on in their own camp so it's it's one of those things that's going to hang over the final as well mm. um and it's it's it, it distracts from the product which is the football which has been so good in recent years um so so that's that's kind of upsetting as well that that it that it will just distract from the actual match that is to be played this Sunday but at the same time it could prove being a really crucial turning point for for women's Gaelic games love love a bit of revolution me um <laughs> hopefully hopefully it, it it is that turning point to your 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 characterizing so expertly there um as usual bucko um as we uh draw uh this year <laughs> um to a close what have been give me three sporting moments this year for you um that you just loved amongst all of the cancellations and postponements and logistical shit shows? One of them, I think top of the list, and this is probably recency bias, but um, Saturday night we had the All-Ireland Camogie final and um, I was the programme editor of, of the live coverage from, from Croke Park. Um, we had a 50-minute build-up to the match, which is which is one of the longest we've, we've ever done for, for Camogie. And we had like a really kind of good analytical um, build-up planned. And, you know, we got some nice access to, to, to the players to, to film nice features and do a big kind of game teaser, set, setting it up in advance. Um, and I suppose we were so busy with the preparation for it and with, you know, talking about the prospect of Galway and Kilkenny meeting as they did in last year's final and, you know, all the permutations and combinations that, that, that were going to happen on the pitch and who'd be marking who and the different battles that were that were going to happen. It, it kind of passed me by the, the poignancy of the occasion, I think, um, because we were so busy teeing it all up. When I when I was going into Croke Park on Saturday evening, and um, it was actually my first time in, in Croke Park this season. I've been predominantly based in the um, in RTE every Saturday and Sunday, working on the Sunday game highlights program, the monster that it is. But um, when I was driving down Jones's Road on Saturday, and it was dark, and there was not one person around, and none of the pubs were open, none of the you know hats, flags and headbands crowd were out. There was no people, there was no fans. And I was able to drive up Jones's Road and turn my car into the Croke Park, half empty car park, and just get out and walk walk into the stadium. And like, you know, the COVID checks and the temperature checks, we're used to all that at the moment, but it just hit me like, oh my God, there is nobody here to watch this match. And I suppose the weight of the responsibility of putting it on television hit me at that point because all those players from Kilkenny and Galway that were coming to Croke Park to play in an All-Ireland final, their parents, friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, everyone in their lives was sitting at home watching it on television instead of being there for them in the, in the stands. And 
like obviously we've had empty stadiums all year. We we know the crack at this stage, but I suppose just thinking about that, it just really hit me. I was just like, wow, this is this is something really, really unusual and really, really special. As it turned out, it was an absolute cracker of a match. Um, Galway and Kilkenny just going at it for 60 minutes. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. But for the Kilkenny players, they have lost the last three finals mm. and they won on Saturday night. And this, just the scenes at full time, like Croke Park was empty, but it absolutely filled up with their relief, first and foremost, I think. But just the elation of it. Um, what they did in claiming that All-Ireland, like throughout the championships, there's this been this discussion, oh, you know, well, is there an asterisk beside this All-Ireland? I, I, I think that's been absolutely refuted by, by, by some of the results we've seen throughout. But actually, I think for the likes of the players of Kilkenny, I think that maybe it means more than any other year because, you know, they were emotionally beaten down from having lost the three finals the previous years. They got an extended break this year away from Camogie. They got to go back and play with their clubs for the summer and they got to come back into into inter-county mode completely rejuvenated from the break and getting over the line for them I just think it's so so special and I'm so happy for them so that would be my number one on, on Saturday night and just such a privilege to have been there and to, and to call that your job I mean like we're so so lucky and 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 don't I know it um, some of the other stuff Una I think I spent a bit of time in the summer um, filming for a programme called Tokyo 2020 One Year to Go and this was a programme based around um the Olympics and the Paralympics and the postponement and the effect that it's having on people. Um, and I spent a bit of time with some members of the Irish hockey team, the Irish women's hockey team. And it just, again, gave me a completely renewed perspective on on what those people have lost this year. Um, you know, how they put their lives in hold for, for you know, over a decade, some of them, to, to, to get to an Olympic Games. The elation of qualifying, what they did in Donnybrook Stadium last November to secure the qualification and then for it to be taken away from them. And I suppose the humility of them. You know, I, I spent a day, um, I spent an afternoon up in Port Stewart with Katie Mullen, who's the captain of the uh, of the Irish hockey team, and just did a sit-down interview with her and then just kind of went around a walk around her local area. And she was just so, um, what's the word? She was just so philosophical about it all. She was like, you know, this has happened. It's, it's, it's only sport. Obviously, we're devastated, but, you know, there are people much, much less, much, much worse off than us. And, I think spending that time with those players, I did another piece with, with Chloe Watkins and Sarah Hawkshaw that immediately after their first training session back with the international team and just how absolutely buzzing they were after it, sitting down sitting down for interviews. And then um, that kind of really meant a lot to me, I think, just to kind of capture that time with, with those players after, after they'd been so devastated, but how they just, you know, took it on the chain and, and, and just got on with it like like so many have, have had to do. Um, so that, that was another big one for me. And um, I think, again, a GAA one, because that is predominantly what I what I have been immersed in. Um, the Bloody Sunday commemoration on the 21st of November, um, which which was, you know, it should have been this amazing year of, of centenaries and celebrations and, and, and acknowledgements. And um, I think the GAA 
did such an exceptional job in, in commemorating that the the ceremony that that occurred in Croke Park with the you know the empty stadium and and the the flames for for each of the people who went to a match and never came home. And, you know, I've, I've read so much about Bloody Sunday over the years, like the, the work that Michael Foley has done in, in getting the, the factual historical information out there in, in such a brilliant manner and in, in just incredible service that he, that he has done for, for his country through his, through his journalism, through his writing. I, I was actually sitting watching the ceremony because I, I was working that night and Again, just the poignancy of it, it just really, really moved me. And then to see the Tipperary footballers go out in the replica jerseys that were worn in 1920 and win the Munster final for the first time in 85 years. Like, I have absolutely no tie to Tipperary whatsoever. And I was bawling, crying, watching it. <laughs> it was just like, it was just incredible. And finally, you always do this. You ask me to pick three things and I pick 97. But I will say one more in an international context. Again, the year that it's been, how the how the WNBA played out their championship in in a bubble, um, and what the championship stood for, and how those players really, really played in the name of, of the Black Lives Matter movement and and the symbolism of everything they did, and just incredible scenes and how you know how sport and, and politics can, can intersect and be a, a, a change for social good. I think that was another real standout for me this season um, and it was something that was really, really special to see. Brilliant. That's fantastic, Bucko. And no doubt once things uh, kick back into whatever unearth the gear is going to be when everything, when crowds can go back to stadiums, when tor- when tournaments are back on, we'll definitely be checking back in with you. Um, so enjoy uh, the few um, matches left to play. I know we have a rolling bet uh, every year about Cavan winning in All-Ireland, which I have been obviously losing. Um, it's, it's, sorry, sorry. It's not a rolling bet. It was a one-off bet that you never paid me for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I might edit that bit out, actually. Um, but, you know, obviously, I'll just let you go in a sec. Um, you <sighs> It's it's kind of there's something kind of difficult. I mean, there's two kinds of Dubs fans, the ones who you know are are almost as focused and Terminator like as the players themselves. Show no mercy, you know, just keep winning, um, keep this you know almost production line type play going that is uh borderline without any mistakes and then there's the others who are a bit softy maybe um people like me uh whose whose hearts kind of melt and so and somehow renege their county colors to to want a bit of crack to want the underdog to come through to want a bit of wildness do you give mayo any chance at all i do i do give them a chance i think it's going to be a lot closer than some people are saying. Um, I actually think that the circumstances, as strange as they are, will completely play in to Mayo's hands because, you know, I, 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 I did a, an interview with one of the Kilkenny Kwogi players in advance and in, in advance of last weekend, and she was saying how much she was enjoying just not being out in her community and not having to meet people and not people not saying, oh, are you going to win this one? And like, you know, just like dealing with the constant small talk 
of trying to sort tickets for people, of all that kind of stuff. And I think with the Mayo players, with, without having that kind of pressure on them, um, take Kirby, actually, the, the Team Ireland Olympics psychologist spoke about this a couple of weeks ago in, in relation to the likes of Mayo and Tipperary and the Waterford Hurlers, that the way the championship is being played out is actually really suiting them because they don't have everyone else's hopes and dreams resting on their shoulders. Of course, they know they're there and of course they're aware of it, but they're not hearing them on the streets. They're not hearing them in the stands. They're just living in their own little bubble, focusing on the match. And I think this Mayo team, um, I've seen a good bit of them this year and some of the new players that have come in um, to the squad this year who have, who have just really, really lit it up I think it's exactly what they need. You know, they've had the likes of Andy Warren, who's retired, like one of the greatest male footballers ever, who, who walks away without that Celtic cross that he so desperately craved. But you have the old guard who are really firing. You have the younger players who, who've come in and just kind of really lit things up. And we saw it with the Kilkenny Komogi players on Saturday night, that blend of stalwarts and these young ones who weren't carrying the baggage of losing all these All-Irelands and just wanted to go out and, and play their game. And there's nobody there. There's no nerves. There's no crowds. I actually think that um, it's going to really suit me on Saturday, Saturday night. That empty stadium, those lights, that feeling of, wow, something special could be achieved here. I, I'm not going to make predictions because I'm completely impartial as I work for the Sunday game. And uh, I'm not going to call it, but I do think it's going to be a great match. And what about, just before you go, the Cork-Dublin? I mean, obviously Cork are going to want, uh, you know, a little replay of, of 2016, wasn't it? When they when they, when they they beat Dublin by a point. What do you think is going to happen oh, there? Take, take your pick, 2014, yeah. 2015, <laughs> 2016. They beat Dublin by a point in all of them. Um but oh god, yeah, it, that that one is 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 really hard to call because well, first of all, I didn't see much of the semi final of Cork, but um, Dublin were pushed very close by by Armagh in their semi final. Um, with with Dublin and Cork, you know, either or of them have have won. You have to go back to two thousand and four. Um, when Galway won the All-Ireland. It's, it's been Dublin or Mayo every year since. Or sorry, excuse me, Dublin or Cork every year since. Um, so as well as, you know, an All-Ireland title to be won, there's there's legacy on the line here as well. You know, there's this new generation of, of Cork players who carry the weight of, of what the one before them achieved, like, you know, winning two five in a row, winning 11 All-Irelands in 12 years. And for the Dublin players, you know, they've won three now. They they have the potential to kick on and, and win four, win five. They're certainly talented enough and, and they're an incredible group of players. Um, but any time these two teams have met in recent years, it's been so close. It was actually the last women's football game that I saw live was back in February, 8th February in freezing cold Cork Park and they played uh, in round three of the league and Cork beat them by a point. Mm. So that was the last time. There's no even obvious form lines to draw between them because, you know, last year we had the meeting in the league semi-final. They were just knocking lumps out of each other into extra time. It gave you a really good read of how they were going to set up if they met in a championship semi-final. Um, but yeah, it's 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 kind of hard to call. I, I, conditions, you know, Crow Park on a, on, a, on a December Sunday, pitch will be slippy. It could be lashing rain. The elements could play a part. It's it's going to be a cracker. It's going to be it's going to be a really good football match. And with Dublin and Cork, you just 
you just never know what could happen. Well, uh, personally, I can't wait to see um, the montage uh, as well as, of course, of course, the games themselves. Um, Elaine Buckley, aka Bucko, thank you so much as ever for your expertise. Thanks for having me. And give me my 20 quid for the cabin bet. Thank you. <laughs> Andrea, the waves are calling me. I feel like that's what they say. And what do they say? A Buddhist chant that Tina Turner always said. (laughs) Unreal. I need to know what's getting in the sea. This week, getting in the sea, it's been going on for a few weeks and it's even shaped the shape of our, it's shaped the shape, wow, shaped the shape of our podcast podcast. because the tiff attack shenanigans that are going on in politics at the moment, I have decided that I would like to place party politics in the sea, along with the whip. So I've been kind of thinking about, right, so the whip has been a long-term thing that I hate, and it's in bits, and I like, we just have to get business done and force people to vote against what they believe in. Bullshit. So then I was thinking, the other day when I was watching all this unf- oh, shenanigans of like Sinn Féin did this and Leo Bracker and it's so divisive and da 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 and then I was like maybe we should just get rid of party politics like then I was trying to figure out the logistics of it like if everyone was an independent how would that work and would it just be like rep- like I don't know representative or whatever someone uh, Rachel Spawn suggested maybe we could rule by c- citizens assembly they've stood us well so that was like possibility, but I don't know how that would work on a day-to-day basis. So I haven't quite got the logistics down, but I definitely think there's a case to be made. And so therefore, I am going to put party politics into the sea. Um, you're sounding very much like one of these communists Michael McDool is talking about who are uh, widespread in the media. Did you read that piece? I saw it and I was like, I don't like reading his things. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, as somebody who like that's not communism no but like I'm joking (laughs) Um, yeah I'm I'm not even going to talk about that it's ridiculous Um, yeah okay we'll put we'll put the tit for tat and the just low calibre of debate and people fighting with each other instead of actually responding to the needs of people yeah what does a party actually bring to the table what does having parties and you kind of align with people you already agree with but like that could just happen naturally and you don't have to have a logo and a and a and a plan like a strategy of how you're going to be in power so it takes the power out of it and just then it just has agendas rather than ego i'm into it i'm into utopian vibes anything that radically alters the current systems we're existing in floats my boat um but now it's bananas Oh, I love that that's one of our features. It's so funny. Uh, this week, it is absolutely bananas. What? So what's basically what happened, and I absolutely adored it, uh, was Lord Ivy repossessed the Ivy market. And there was a piece on RT News about it, and his spokesman came out of the car, and it was just so lovely. He was like, yeah, we just decided it's absolutely a bit. See, obviously it was a Lord. 
and uh, spoke mainly not saying it's in bits, but uh, he was like... Yeah. In smithereens, maybe, he said. More uh, more along those lines, for sure. He's like, this, we can't, we decided that we couldn't allow this to happen, so we've just repossessed it, we changed the locks. Um, and it was just like, yes! And so many people were like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm ch- cheering on the lords of, of yonder um, and their repossession. However... The thing that's actually bananas is the fact that we have bylaws that allow buildings to get so into disrepair and that this has been uh, in planning permission has been granted for so long on it and that people are just driving down the value of buildings um, and letting them go into disrepair on purpose, which is an absolute sin um, if I was a believer in sins and uh, hell and all that jazz. But uh, I think... This is David McWilliams who said that derelict buildings aren't a sign of poverty. And when often you drive through a town, you see poverty, you see derelict buildings go, oh God, it's a very run down place. Often that is a sign of wealth because the people who own those buildings don't need to use them. So instead, we should be looking at how we can get a system in place that makes it cost a fortune to let buildings go into disrepair and dereliction and not be used and to allow uh, people to live in them, people to trade in them, people to have parties in them, people to um, have culture centres in them. And let's we have a wealth of buildings that are available, so why are we not using them? And the fact that we have so much of these buildings empty is what is bananas, absolutely bananas. It is. Well, well said. Now it's time for our fave bits. My fave bits this week are, uh, so I don't really have that many fave bits because I'm moving house at the moment. Did we ever believe this moment would come? Can't believe it. Uh, But I have been watching, I've replaced, I used to watch episodes of Sex and the City to go sleep to because you didn't have to follow them and you knew what was going on. It's like friends, you know the storyline. You can chill out and totally relax and lose yourself in them. And I have replaced that with Will and Grace. What a great show. And last night I was blessed with Cher in it. Cher came to visit Jack in Will and Grace and it was a glory. And I think it's become more of a glory now that it's a long time ago since I've seen it. Um, My only relationship to Will and Grace is that it has a rare Malali with four L's in it. Megan Malali. Oh, I love her as well. Yeah. You don't really get many four L's Malalis. There you go. So you look. So that's the the only other one. Uh, cool. Uh, my other so interesting. <laughs> my other five bits uh, was Mother's love letter to the dance floor. Cormac Cashman wrote some spoken word, and they made a video, and it was lovely. And uh, we're we're a week closer to getting to dance on the dance floor. Every week is a week closer. Also, this is a random five bit. It's not cultural at all, but it just is the best thing ever. I got a blow dry and I get, I used to get weekly blow dries and they really, because I hate washing my hair. And Jenny in Coterie, Jenny Dawson in Coterie, she just does the best blow dry. And I just want to say a shout out to A, blow dries and B, Jenny Dawson. It's just, it really lifts you up when you're absent, when like I'm literally doing crap things and to just to get a blow dry was so gorgeous. So love that. And then this is not a fave bit. It's the opposite of a fave bit, but I couldn't let a week go by, given that I'd given so much time in my cultural fave bits of the year um, to what's his, what's his name again? 
Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy. So I watched Prom. Oh my God, it is absolutely atrocious. It's possibly the worst thing I've ever watched. It stinks. And it was so disappointing because I had it as a little treat to look forward to one night. I was like, oh, watch Prom. And I was like, are you for real? Is this real life? It's in bits. And also another disappointing thing. I know I'm meant to be on five bits here, but Christmas on the Square, Dolly Parton's film. Totally expected that to be fab. Christine Baranski's in it. I love her. Everything she does, I'm usually obsessed with. And it was shit as well. Like, so disappointing. We're going to have to have a new slot here. Um, (laughs) Andrea's, things Andrea's disappointed with this week. Oh, yeah. Please send you. Oh, wow. That was way too, uh, like. I'd love. Andrea's disappointed in you again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm already feeling some kind of weird childhood shame from that. I don't know why. Um, so my fave bits are number one, Quiet Chops. Obviously, they have to limit numbers. I absolutely hate Christmas shopping. I don't like shopping in general anyway. And I, I therefore... I actually did just buy everyone trees and sods. Brilliant. Well done. Thanks. Um, but uh, it is nice to not have to be hassled uh, with a volume of people inside. Um, my, my, can I also add to that? Yeah. Um, I'm, this all was another fave bit. I went to the Mondrian exhibition in the National Gallery. Oh, I'm going on Friday morning. Oh, so lovely. But also, it has to. The visitor numbers have to be limited. So your um, your visiting experience is heightened by the lack of uh, crowds within the exhibition. Hmm. Nice. Good time to go to galleries at the moment. Yeah. Um, Gemma Dunleavy's uh, live gig from The Workman's which was broadcast online the other night was so good she's just brilliant just her harpist great Um, Other Voices back once again uh, Wednesday evening they're doing a big gig in the Guinness Storehouse tune in I've got the Guinness in ready to go is that SpawnCon? Well, Did Gu- they sent me some Guinness, but I drank that already and I actually went and bought more Guinness. <laughs> so it works. <laughs> Nobody sends me anything because I don't put anything on social media. So, um, good because then you get loads of shit. Yeah. Uh, I'm working my way out of that world. Anyway, go on. Okay. That's another um, story. <laughs> um, my other fave bits, Amy O'Connor and her list Amy O'Connor's annual list of joy of uplifting, heartwarming things. So delightful. And I saw my good buddy Sonia um, tweeting Amy about the like, where are the other lists? And Amy has also tweeted the list from 2016 onwards. So if you need uh, a little joy, if you need a cry as well, um, not that it, you, you, I mean, I don't feel the need to like, I don't need an instigating thing to make me cry these days. Um, but if you do, this is definitely a good one to go through. It's really, really pleasant. Uh, Mark O'Connell, my other favorite. Okay, I've got lots of favorite bits. Mark O'Connell had this really brilliant article about Cartoon Saloon in The New Yorker. I would uh, suggest reading it. Cartoon Saloon being the Oscar or three-time Oscar nominated animation studio in Kilkenny and Mark O'Connell, great writer. Um... And yeah, check it out. Really, really interesting. Very inspiring. Just really creative people who are good at what they do, doing their own thing. You love to see it. Loose Cannon is one of my favourite places to buy wine um, in Dublin City. And 
I think it's so mad. Like Condé Nast put them in like one of the best bars in the world or something. So that must be really cool for them. Um, if you like, they're cheese, lovely people. They are really nice people. Um, I was in there yesterday and they gave me not one free tote, but two. Now, I'm not saying that people go in there and get free totes because you do have to buy them. But I just thought it was nice because I happened to be buying um, four bottles of wine. You know they um, um, own Meet Me in the Morning? They do, yeah. And that's also delicious. Good coffee, yeah, for sure. Good food, really good food. And my final fave bit is a little happy birthday to my friend Fionn. Happy birthday, Fionn. Now, some deets on upcoming episodes. You might have noticed that we've been just ploughing our own furrow the past while. Totally unpredictable, um, completely unstrategic. But nevertheless, we feel we're putting out some good stuff. We're going to be doing some thinking in the new year about how United Ireland moves forward. And we're going to be asking you what you want. But in the meantime, we've got a bunch of... Uh, podcast coming up over the festive season. Uh, we have the United Ireland Awards. Oh, Una, what are they? Well, basically, what we're going they? to be making up categories <laughs> to suit uh, our agenda, basically. To suit our agenda. And uh, we are going to push that agenda through the medium of podcasting. <laughs> Uh, with an episode of awards for various categories across politics, culture, Ireland, random shit that we think uh, is worth chatting about. Um, so that's going to be a fun episode. And then we're also going to be doing a Solstice Vibes uh, episode for next week on the 21st. And it's going to be about darkness and light. Oh, woo! Now, fave bits. The time has come. Do you want to win our fave bits? Uh, this is a delightful fave bits. I don't know why I'm giving it a hard sell. It's competition, but like it's, um, and it's free, then you get it for free. Uh, so there's loads of stuff in that we've mentioned over the last year from some of our favorite books this year to little treats, uh, my ongoing exploration of non-alcoholic carbonated drinks. Um, coffee, some imbibe coffee. And there's so nice little treats that you can have for yourself or just before Christmas, re-gift dramatically in every direction. The circular um, economy in action, huh? Yes, exactly. The competition closes on solstice um, at noon and starts today from now when you listen to this podcast, which we're recording on Wednesday. And um, what are we asking people to do, Andrea, to win this hamper O-Fave Bits? Like, we have decided that we want joy to be spread. And there's nothing more joyous than thinking about what is your fave bits. So we would like you to share what your fave bits are, have been this year, on your Insta or Twitter. Add us with United Ireland Podcast, um, or whatever we are on Twitter and Instagram. And then <laughs> you can find links to all of our socials. Uh, you know what? You'll find us easy. And then if you don't want to do social media, you can email us at unitedirelandpodcast at gmail.com with your fave bits. And then we will randomly pick a winner uh, from all of the joy that has been spread. Yeah, well, I don't think we'll ra- I think we will whittle them okay. down. Well, then we'll have to. Okay. Well, yes. Um, we will select a, uh, the best five, and then we will um, fight to the death over who wins. And then you'll just have to pick up the fave bits in person. Obviously, the post office 
or sending things around the country at the moment. I went into the post office in Andrew Street in Dublin the other day and you know that meme with the dog in the kitchen where everything's on fire <laughs> and he's like, everything, everything's yeah. fine or whatever. Um, wow, I'm so hip and with it as a 15-year-old meme. Um, it kind of felt a bit like that. I and saw that on TikTok. <laughs> I saw it on TikTok. And um, so we are not posting anything. So bit of a pain in the hole if you're not in Dublin, but maybe you could get someone to bring it down to wherever you are. Or maybe, I don't know. God, you could, we've really thought this through. <laughs> really thought this through. Basically, if you are, if you, if you are in, if the winner happens to be in Dublin, obviously we're not going to know where people are from. If the winner happens to be in Dublin, you can pick it up from Tropical Popical. Um, before Ireland, the, Ireland's premier snail saw brought to you by. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you can pick it up from there before the 22nd. And if not, then if you're like, fuck, fuck that, I'm in Claire. Um, we'll you can just out. leave it there. You can pick it up afterwards, after Christmas or whatever. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We're you, all, we're listen, all this together. <laughs> listen, between me and you, hypothetical Claire, winner of the competition that is yet to launch, we'll figure it out. Okay. Um, after all that hot mess, uh, what's the tuna chicken roll, Andrea? This week's tuna chicken roll is Let's Talk About Gender Baby by Planning to Rock. Yep. Let's talk about you, baby. Let's talk about you, baby. Let's talk about you. 
Let's talk. 